We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com. has set a major league record for strikeouts in a game. Derek Jeter with one of the most unbelievable plays you will ever see by a shortstop. Red Sox fans have longed to hear it. The Boston Red Sox are world champions. Welcome to episode two of Fan Base Deep Dives into the Greatest Rivalry in Sports. Brian Shackman along with John Senecal. Your hosts here, and uh, now that we introduce you to what we're doing, we're going to start doing it. And today, we're going to do ALCS Game 7. We can do the whole ALCS, but it's really about <laughs> Game 7. Right? I mean, the series, I mean, we've done a lot of research uh, to go back, what is it, 17 years or so. Long I, I mean, time. Long time. I, I, I had to refresh my memory that, you know, it was the Red Sox who forced the Game 7. Mm-hmm. And the Red Sox had hit a ton of home runs in the series. Uh, but neither team, you know, these teams had played each other a lot that oh, year. Oh yeah, yep, yep. In this game, in this game, I mean, if at, after you look at the final box score in this game, they were like dead even, like dead even hits, runs, at bats, everything. Like it was just the ending, which we'll get to obviously, which was the deciding factor. Amazing game all around. Amazing game. You know, the funny thing is, they they actually set a record. The game seven of the ALCS was the twenty fifth time. They had played each other that season, which is the most two teams that ever played against each other in one season in the history of baseball. And uh, the Yankees won the division with 101 wins. The Red Sox came in second. They got the wild card with 95. You had the ownership. For us, the Red Sox had changed. Oh, yeah. The new ownership came in. The culture seemed to shift. Everything was different. And, and so this was supposed to be the coming out party for the Red Sox dethroning the vaunted Yankees and uh well the Yankees said the Yankees had went two years without being in the World Series. Oh my gosh, you know what I mean? Oh my gosh. But they didn't win it you they didn't win it in 01. I mean this funny thing about 01, what I'll say is that I wanted the Yankees to win in 01. Everybody did because it was New York. It was 9-11. That would have been the storybook ending to the whole thing. You know what I mean? Talk about talk about rising from the ashes. You know what I mean? It was just like it put the sports world on pause, you know, like when was the last time we saw that? Oh yeah. Right now. <laughs> well, that's when, it, that's when you knew at least major league baseball wasn't fixed in oh one. Cause every, you know, I mean, because there's no, no one wanted Arizona Diamondbacks to win, but I, I want to sort of set the scene before we get to the game itself. In 2003, in October, I was the number two sports guy in, uh, in Hartford. Next number to two, Kevin like the Red Hayden. Sox. Number two, like the Red Sox. Yeah, whatever. <laughs> and, Kevin Nathan, and so I wasn't in New York. Kevin Nathan, who was the sports director, was in New York to cover the game. And they had me go to Boston in case the Red Sox win or lose, actually. But the, the thinking was if the Red Sox won, we had a reporter there to greet them when they got home. And I remember getting there. I was staying in the Howard Johnson's uh, two blocks away from Fenway. Luxury accommodation. Place, I mean, the place was awful. It was just awful. I'm so surprised, Brian. I'm so surprised. It, 
Yeah, I don't even think I had an expense card. I won't name our news director, but I'll never forget. I had to get up early for 5 a.m. live, and uh, I ripped a contact lens, didn't have a backup. And I hate my glasses for TV because I'm so blind. They're so thick. I wore my glasses for that live shot at 5 o'clock, and my news director called me <laughs> on my cell right after. If you ever change your look without passing it with me, you're fired. Yeah, and I was mm-hmm. like, I ripped a contact lens. Unless you want me to be blind, I wasn't trying to change my look. And I, and, and, I, um, and I sent you two uh, two emails and called you, and you never responded. So, <laughs> right? Exactly. Exactly. So where were you? Uh, I was working for said news director uh, doing 11 o'clock live shots. Um, I can't remember. So who you didn't I even was. see the game. You didn't get to watch the game. No, I listened to it on the radio. I listened to it on the radio in a news car, and I was running back and forth from the live shot at one point because it was 11 o'clock live shot, and the game was obviously still going on. And I was going back and forth, and I remember, you know, as the game went on and it's eighth inning, <laughs> just being like, I cannot believe this is happening. This is insane. Going into the eighth, it's four to two Red Sox. And then David Ortiz does this. Two starts, two wins for Wells as Ortiz gets into one to right. This one is at the wall and gone. David Ortiz greets David Wells with a first pitch home run to right. It's 5 2. Right, so the legend of Big Poppy starts, starts to sort of emerge. In 03. So it's five to two going into the bottom of the eighth. And, and the Red Sox and, have it wrapped up. Wrapped up. Yeah, it's 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 basically over. And and then, you know, I don't if people aren't baseball fans, you know, I don't know. If you think of like signature gaps, you know, the, the rumor was in eighty-six that uh John McNamara wanted to put Dave Stapleton in at first base as a defensive replacement. And uh Buckner said, I want to be there when we win it. And that's all she wrote, right? And and I think Grady Little's mound visit and decision to keep Pedro in will go down in, in terms of one of the worst decisions in the history of the Red Sox. I don't know about all of baseball, but I don't know. It's I mean, I mean, it obviously cost him his job. We know that. And uh, I mean, I don't even think he ever managed again. I mean, I don't think he was just done. That was it. He got Steve Bartman, man. <laughs> but yeah, I mean, uh, and the crazy thing is, is he goes out there and and – I, he had no intention of taking Pedro out, and you know Pedro's a competitor. He's the probably he's the best pitcher in baseball at that point. As little as he is, I mean, he is the man. Like he's not coming out in that situation. So what's I mean, what is Grady Little gonna do there? He should have taken him out. Everybody said he should have taken him out. All the announcers are saying, kind of under their breath in a way, like you're an idiot, guy. Like take him out of the game. But I guess you know hindsight twenty twenty, he should have. But you gotta say, dude got balls, man. Grady Little's got balls. <laughs> you know, I, well. I would argue the opposite. I don't think it's a gutsy move. I think it was a move where he got bullied by his star pitcher. I mean, when when you get over 100 pitches and you're that small and you put in so much of your energy, you need a manager who's strong enough to say, listen, we paid all this money for this bullpen. This is what it's for. I know you want to stay out here. That's but true. The, you know, like I, I feel like he went out there. So you tell me the mound visit was that was what it was. That was it, right? That's it. He basically just walked out there, looked at him, and Pedro was probably like, "I'm all set." And he's like, "Okay, go," you know. And that was it. He went back. I wonder if Pedro is more colorful. Uh, colorful, like he said, you know, get, get back in there. I'm good. Well, you know, like, like, like when Messina told uh, Tori to go back into the dugout. Yeah. Uh, I mean, it is. I mean, you. I, 
how do you take Pedro out? I mean, it's 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 tough. It's a tough call. I feel bad for the guy. You know what I mean? It's like, my I thinking mean, is that you would you you. It's the right thing to do to take him out. But I can't tell you that I would have walked out to the mound and Pedro would have told me to kiss off. That I would have told him you got to go. Like I mean, that's a that's that takes that that would have been hard to do. I don't know if I I could have stared him down. No, no, I mean, I he's, he's I your ace. I mean, he is your ace. I mean, you're not going to do that now to you know, Scherzer. You're not going to do that to Garrett Cole. You're not going to do that to Verlander. It just that's just not how it works. It's just it's I mean, managing. I've never done it, but you know, history says damned if you do, damned if you don't. You know what I mean? It, that's the worst job in sports. You just you're the scapegoat no matter what. They could have won that game still. Posada hits a blue to center, and then that's it. They're out of the inning, and then Mariano comes in and shuts him down for three innings. I mean, pitches lights out. Two hits. I think he had three strikeouts. Um, it was amazing. I mean, he now is. back in the day, did he did he do did he do longer outings or was he a three and four out? Because now if a, no. if a closer goes four outs, it's a big deal. That was three long. innings is insane. That was long for him in 2003. He was getting to the point where you know he was he was definitely the more special guy. You know he was going to do throw throw one inning. He wasn't like he was you know. But he he was younger. I mean, what he'd only been in the league. He's at his eighth year in the league. I think he came in in what 96. He was on the he was set up for Wetland in 96. Um, so yeah, that's his eighth year in the league. So you know he Jesus. I, I say it all the time now. These pitchers, why can't they go out there and pitch? You mean to tell me like you can't go out there if you just threw 30 pitches the day before and throw another 30 pitches? I, I agree with you. I think it's all about how you were raised. And we don't raise these kids to throw like that. 50 years ago, they threw all the time. They threw back-to-back -back days or whatever. Like To me, it's not like, oh, you got to suck it up. Their bodies simply aren't used to it. So yeah. I think that's where it's sort of like that negative feedback loop. Whereas I'm, back in the day, you could say back in the day, well, back in the day, they did it all the time. So I mean, regardless of what happens in that, I mean, it's an impressive performance. You're playing in the biggest game of your season for Rivera and you're playing against the best. Obviously, I would say the next best team in baseball. I mean, Yankees yeah. and the Red Sox were the two best teams that year at that point, if you ask me. I mean, the Marlins, they won, but, you know, whatever, the Marlins, you know, <laughs> they bought another no. World Series. But I mean. That is an impressive performance to do that to the Red Sox and keep them in that game. And then it sets up the big 11th inning. And we all know what happens in the bottom of the 11th. All right. So let's get to the 11th because, you know, in looking back, we, you know, in my house, we loved Tim Wakefield. And I love the backstory of the guy. He was a position player in the minors. He switched Pirate, to pitching. Right? Yeah. He had, he, he had a mid-80s fastball and he starts throwing junk. And a guy who was probably projected to stick around for four or five years ends up one of the longer careers you can get. And he pitched an him, impressive you know. career too. An impressive career. He got you innings, and he most of the time he got you a chance to win the ball game. He was a really good pitcher. I just think you know there were days where you knew it wasn't working, and he just it just happens with That's the, the with knuckleball. The knuckleball. But what I would say when we talk about guts of Grady Little, do you know what it's like to have a like a sixty-eight mile an hour pitch? I think that like that, that's just frightening to throw that kind of lack of gas and sit up there and see what happens. Like I would think that that would be frightening. I would. So I, would love, I would love to ask major league hitters, especially nowadays, but over the course of the career, what it is like, how hard it is for them to actually hit a pitch coming that slow in a game situation. Right. Not not yeah. knowing. I mean, knowing it is going to be that slow, but not knowing with the knuckleball in the play, because you could try sneak a fastball by him like R.A. Dickey would. He would throw a, a faster fastball than Wakefield ever could. And he was a knuckleballer. Right. But I mean, 
I would think a major league baseball player is more apt to hit a ball mid to upper 80s any day over a pitch in the mid 60s. Yeah, for sure. One that that moves in an inconsistent fashion too. <laughs> so I mean, the, the thing is, and he had it going that series. I mean, he was two and oh. So he, he's five five in the eleventh. Aaron Boone, who had not had the greatest of years, steps up to, to play. And that's all she wrote. Leading by three as Boone hits it to deep left. That might send the Yankees to the World Series. Now, I, you're on one side, and your reaction is what? I'm going out of my mind, man. I can't believe it. It's insane because, I mean, Aaron Boone wasn't even going to be a – he wasn't even a starter. He was batting like 125 in the series. He was just a late addition from the Reds that season. I mean, he was a solid player. He was a Boone boy. He's he's a baseball guy. But, oh, my Jesus. I mean, and, and if you listen to Aaron Boone's post-game interview, you can just tell he don't even know what happened. It's amazing. Yeah. And, and, of course, he also talks about – you know, the infamous, you know, the ghosts are going to come out and stuff. And like Derek told me, the ghosts will show up eventually, and, and they did, man. I mean, this is this stupid. What an amazing moment. I mean, even if you aren't a Yankees fan, if you're a baseball fan, that's every single kid dreams of that moment. I've dreamed of it. And, I've, dude, if I do that in a wiffle ball game, I, I'm big time. Yeah, but guess what? I mean, for me, I couldn't be in that moment like that because, to me, it made me feel like, I'm a loser and I'm going to be a loser forever. I mean, it, like I, you know, 86 was one thing, but like with that, with the team that, I mean, that team was so, that Red Sox team was really fun. They were really good and they were interesting and they had personality and they had talent. And I just felt like if they can't win, they're never going to win. It's and never, so it's never going to happen for you. And I can understand how you would feel like that because you've been getting beaten up for so long. But then what's going to happen next? Yeah, but I mean, <laughs> you can't <laughs> anticipate 2004, <laughs> which we're going to get to. But I mean, you know, back to that moment. So so I wake up and I think we had off the record, maybe watch the end of the game at a bar and it was late. Right. It got done late and I had to be ready for 5 a.m. So. I'm depressed. I'm exhausted. I ripped a contact and I got to be live and I got to find a way to spin it. And then I had to hang around for the Red Sox bus to get back or whatever. For the, the hearse to walk driving. It was just awful. And I, I got to hand it to some of the guys who were, who, who, who stood up and, and, and talked and so on and so forth. But yeah, I mean, it looks like everyone has when your kids, the insecurities, whether it's, you know, not wanting to walk to school alone. Cause you, you know, I truly felt like I, I was going to be a loser forever, <laughs> you know? And that was, I, I hate to say it so pathetically, but that's really how it felt after 86. And after that, and I felt bad for Wakefield. I really did, but he, you know what? He handled yeah. it the best way he could. He put his head down. He walked straight off the mound. It's straight off the do. dog, straight down. And you know what? If you watch the end of that game, too, do you know who the last person in that dugout was? Pedro. He was just sitting there with his hoodie up, wrapped around. You could barely yeah. see his face. And he's just yeah. sitting there. And he's like, he's sitting there thinking, who's your daddy? Yeah. Who's <laughs> your daddy? <laughs> oh, my God. And then, you know, I guess there was some solace in, in the Yankees not winning. And the world series, but uh, that is when it, it was firmly established that the Yankees and the Red Sox were it right. Nobody could garner the kind of attention, even like, you know, giants, Dodgers or nope. Cardinal Cubs, like nothing. That's when the world realized that baseball needs these two 
because they haven't had they haven't had them in that situation much at all. And so that's I think the world realized, wow. And forget about even Subway Series. Like, I think the Red Sox and the Yankees sort of nothing like an O three that that was nothing it. like it. Nothing like Red Sox Yankees baseball. I mean, even if if you're ever fortunate enough to go to a game live at either stadium, it's an amazing experience. But I mean, just to just just the rivalry alone. I don't know. I mean, I can't. I can't imagine one. In terms of generating the national attention, I, I don't think there's there's anything like it, which sets us up for 2004. Which I, I mean, I I don't know if we should break up 04 into like four different podcasts because you know there's so many personal elements because I I went to a couple of those games and it was just so intense. So we're gonna figure out how to best bring you 2004. But I will tell you that the people. On the Red Sox and the fans who did believe, because believing was part of the mantra of that team, mm -hmm. after 86 and what happened with the Mets, and after 03, what happened with the Yankees, I was And after one of the game cynics. three, and after game three, oh, I mean, listen, I was at game three, and they lost by like a, a touchdown and a field goal, and I was like, this is a waste of time, and it's a waste of money. I was like, you know what? I'm a, I, I just got married. I'm going to have a kid someday. I'm going to save my $300 bucks Stop suffering. For, for a freaking crib and not for two tickets to this game. Oh, so uh, next week uh, on episode three, we're going to start to break down perhaps one of the greatest sporting events <clears throat> in the history And you'll get the gloat. You'll finally get the gloat after 86 years. Uh, I'm going to do it in a classy way, but it's, <laughs> uh, it's going to run – the, the, the spectrum of emotion. So for John Senegal and Brian Jackman, this is fan base. Uh, deep dives into the greatest rivalry in sports. We'll see you for episode three. Go Yanks. We get it. Attention spans just aren't what they used to be. Heads in social media and eyes on Netflix. But what do people do with their ears? Well, for one, they're listening to audio. Americans spend 4.4 hours with audio every day. Oh, and you want the proof? Well, you just sat through this ad that's now approaching 30 seconds. What could you say to a potential customer in 30 seconds? Let Odyssey put together a media plan tailor-made for your unique marketing needs. Advertise with Odyssey. Visit ads.odyssey.com.